Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. I'm the kind of guy who sees the world in visual images. Must be the photographer in me. Right now, one of the most compelling images I see in my mind's eye when it comes to global social interaction is a picture of a long line of Christians standing shoulder to shoulder, staring across a small distance to an equally long line of Muslims standing shoulder to shoulder, staring back. It's like each line doesn't quite know what to do with the other. I've asked Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, to help me further develop this picture in my mind using the powerful chemistry of reality. Lincoln, we're in the darkroom. The picture is being beamed from the enlarger to the paper and the easel. What do I need to know so that my image will be a true representation of both groups in the final print? Man, you asked an unanswerable question at the beginning of a program. We only have half an hour. That's right. That's right. You can do it. I know but, you can. But but what you're describing in, in many ways, is, uh, Professor Samuel Huntington called it the clash of civilizations. Mm-hmm. And, and for a while, people debunked his view. Now he's sort of being seen to be very true. And if not civilizations, then there is certainly a, a, a big clash of religions in the world today. The Islamic world and the Christian world are pretty much squaring off on both sides yes. of, a, of a very small geographic room. The world's not really big enough. Uh, and there's competing spiritual visions. And, of course, uh, all church groups develop a society. So with Islam particularly, it's very hard to disentangle their religion from the way they live and, and the, the norms of civil life. And so, uh, you know, uh, when the West makes inroads into the Islamic world, it's seen as a religious inroad, mm-hmm, yes. not even just a cultural uh, bumping. Mm-hmm. All of our listeners know that 9-11, you know, is sort of exhibit A, yeah. even though uh, our leaders were at great pains to say this was not Islam, we're not at war. The 9-11 event is a clear blowback from severe conflict between these religious communities Mm -hmm. and the the misunderstandings that come. And you've made it quite clear that that conflict stretches back many, many centuries. Oh, absolutely. Well, Islam particularly really began with conflict, not originally against Christians or or Jews, but it enlarged that way. But it was certainly conflict by the prophet with those that didn't believe him between different cities and and then moving out from the Arab Peninsula there right up into Central Europe. So there's a sense of conquest in Islam that's very literal, where with Christianity it has a sense of spiritual conquest and the Crusades went horribly wrong, but Christianity does have a sense of enlargement that it needs to evangelize, you know, Jesus said that, go ye into all the world and to make disciples of all nations. So you have these two evangelistic faiths, one I think a little inclined to more uh, temporal uh, conquest, but the other one still wanting its influence to be felt, and, and they've they bumped heads big time in this, in this uh, 21st century. What I wanted to lead into this, and, and you and I spoke before the program, I, I some time ago read a book by Ayan Hirsi Ali. She'd wrote a very uh, uh, well-received book called Infidel, and I read it a few years ago. And just the other day, I picked up in a dollar store, believe it or not. (laughs) I hoard some of these bargain uh, bins, and there was a hardcover book by her, very recent book, 2010. Mm -hmm. A hardcover book, 
I don't know why it was in the dollar bin, but it was a bargain. Her book called Nomad, From Islam to America, she's called it. Now, Ayan Hirsi Ali is an interesting woman. She grew up in uh, Somalia uh, in a Muslim culture, in a Muslim family, very rigorous, observant family. Uh, she can recount in, in, in both of these books the, the amazingly uh, rigid and, and cloistered existence for the women yes. <laughs> in an Islamic family. And then through a series of, of, of adventures and misadventures, she found a, a, her way to uh, Europe, to Holland, and found her way intellectually out of Islam, mm. and unfortunately for her, I think, to atheism, mm. agnosticism. Mm. She rejected the religion of her forefathers, quite literally, because as this book, Nomad, begins, she's under police protection in, uh, in Holland because of threats against her life from uh, Muslims, because the Quran is very specific, and she says it in a book, the apostate is to be killed. Mm-hmm. And so she was under police protection, and as the book begins, she goes to visit her father in hospital. He's dying of a terminal illness. It's just a day or two before he dies. And between visiting hours, while no other family member might be there, she's brought into his room and, and, and looks at her father. The father that, that threatened her said that she's better off dead and all the rest, but the father she loves. And she, she then starts reminiscing about what it means to be a Muslim, what her childhood brought to it, how she escaped it, and what she wants for the Islamic world. It's, it's, it's a wonderful book. I, I found it more engaging than the original mm-hmm. best-selling infidel. But uh, what I told you and what I wanted to uh, pick on was I'll tell something that I haven't told anyone on the program. It resonated a little bit with me. I came from a Seventh-day Adventist Christian background. My father worked for the church. Yes. His father did, and his father before him. <laughs> we go back, I'm a fourth-generation Seventh-day Adventist. The three generations before me were, were ministers and missionaries. And growing up, I didn't think we had a repressive atmosphere at all, but my sister got it in her brain that, that uh, you know, my father was a hard-edged Christian and, and, and that she was being forced to do things that, that that she didn't want to, and it was too rigorous a spiritual life. And in late life, she pretty much threw off the church and blamed it all on my father. Mm-hmm. And uh, not long ago, five or six years ago, on his deathbed, she stayed away. She didn't come even with a police escort. Mm-hmm. And so it sort of resonated a little bit yes. with me yes. when I read her sonali, the bittersweet moment when she looks at her father and he can't talk, but she, what she reads into his expressions, I... I myself think he was he was yearning to to contact his daughter. She's saying that he's if he could talk, he would probably tell her to change. She's an apostate. She'd brought shame on him and all the rest, you know. So there's a lot of baggage that religion can give to people, especially someone who doesn't really internalize the spiritual element of the religion. And I and I would include in that many many Muslim adherents around the world, obviously Christians, but we're talking about Islam more particularly. There's some good things in the Quran, which I've read at least twice, but some of the worst elements of Islam are, are, are people picking up on, on hard-edged things and not, not paying much attention to the more humane <laughs> elements. And, and in a traditional society, it can lead to a very hard life, especially for women, mm-hmm. as Ian Hirsi Ali explains. But what I really liked is at the end of the book, now I'm back to where I, after a long diversion, was leading. She tries to, to uh, uh, lay out a plan for the West to deal with this uh, severe challenge from uh, an at times violent 
leading edge of, of Islam. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say that all Muslims are violent. That would be false. But I, remember, I think I, I said early on, she, she really threw over her religion and all religions. She's, a, she's an atheist. Mm-hmm. But she says this. I have a theory that most Muslims are in search of a redemptive God. Mm. They believe that there is a higher power and that this higher power is the provider of morality, giving them a compass to help them distinguish between good and bad. Many Muslims are seeking a God and a concept of God that, in my view, meets the description of the Christian God. Mm. Instead, they are finding Allah. That's an interesting and, I think, perceptive uh, observation. And she can't be doing it just out of convenience. She's not a Christian. And I underlined a few um, statements in in that vein a little bit further on. She says this. She says, uh, given the choice, I would far rather live in a Christian than a Muslim country. Christianity in the West today is more humane, more restrained and more accepting of criticism and debate. The Christian concept of God today is more benign, more tolerant of dissent. But the most important difference between the two civilizations is the exit option. A person who chooses to opt out of Christianity may be excommunicated from the church community, but he is not harmed. His destiny is left to God. Muslims, however, impose Allah's rules on each other. Apostates, people like me who leave the faith, are supposed to be killed. That's all too true. Anyhow, then and then I'll continue. And, and normally I don't read so much, but I, I was very taken with these uh, thoughts she had at the end. This is fascinating she says, stuff. She gave some options about how to, to uh, uh, reconcile this conflict. She says, I would prefer as a first option to offer Muslims who cling to the idea of a creator and eternal life a religious leader like Jesus, who said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's rather than a warrior like Muhammad who demanded that the pious seek to gain power by the sword. To help ground these people in Western society, the West needs the Christian churches to get active again in propagating their faith. It needs Christian schools, Christian volunteers, the Christian message. The Saudis have no hesitation in converting Jean-Francois and Gustave, in other words, French and Germans, to become born-again Muslims. Mm-hmm. And then she says the Pope should be spreading his faith too. She's <laughs> put him as a stand-in for Christians, which is yes. not quite true. <laughs> for Islam isn't a genetic inheritance. A child born in Holland is not bound to be a Muslim just because his parents come from Morocco. And that she says, in the same way, I believe we now need a Christian school for every madrasa. The Quran schools where children and young adults learn only to drone the Quran and the message of the brotherhood. Christian schools are often poles of excellence in an otherwise blighted educational landscape, particularly in inner city neighborhoods. They are schools that teach more than how to recite a sacred book by heart. They teach not only the full range of science and the humanities, but are also about a God who created reason and told mankind to let reason prevail. And then she says, this is a contest that Christians have every chance of winning. An interesting that is amazing. Uh, testimony. Yeah, isn't it? That Coming is from an, an avowed atheist. <laughs> an avowed atheist who used to be a Muslim. My, yeah. my, my, my. And, and obviously it resonates with me, and I think you too. Absolutely. You, you know, what, what strikes me about this is that she is equating Christianity with freedom. She's putting the word freedom right in the middle of Christianity. That's something she did Absolutely. not find in, put, her, in her age, in her past. You put your finger on it, and, and and I believe that that's absolutely true. I mean, Christianity went through its dark ages, quite literally, and, and it's, it's been said with Islam that it needs a reformation. Mm-hmm. But I believe with the clarity that the reformation brought, 
the very clear freedom concepts and, and self-determination concepts that are in the New Testament, particularly, were able to blossom. And, and I don't think it's just a happenstance that after the Reformation, after the explosion of knowledge about the Bible, that we had the, the Industrial Revolution, we had the explosion of the sciences and, and of knowledge and learning in Europe. I think it goes hand in hand. And, and the democratic explosion, the, the founding of the United States. I think these civilly uh, liberal ideas come directly from, from a New Testament uh, view of God and, and, and Jesus Christ. talking with Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine. We're talking today about Muslims and Christians, and uh, at the beginning of the program I mentioned that it seems to me that there's this long line, these two lines, Christians and Muslims staring at each other, and they're not quite sure what to do. And uh, Lincoln Steed is helping us uh, understand the mind of the other. And what I'm finding here, two things have just stuck into my mind from what you've said so far, Lincoln, is that uh, there is very little difference between Muslims and Christians on a human standpoint. We're, we're just people. There is the same need for a God. There's the same need for freedom in both. And number two, there is also a need in each to help the other, to somehow make the life of the other better. But sometimes what I'm discovering in my own life and sometimes what I hear from you and from other people is that religion gets in the way of us doing that. We can't seem to bridge the gap because the religion's in the way. Am I on the right track here? Well, absolutely. I think in an earlier program a long time ago, I, I, I said what I once said at a religious liberty conference, sort of to shock people, but to yes. get a point across. I said, you know, there's way too much religion in this world. Mm -hmm. That's <laughs> way right. too much That's religion. Right. Not enough spirituality. Mm. So a religious construct without the, the finer uh, spirituality that goes with it is dangerous. And, and as we've seen with the jihadis, modern-day jihadis, it can be quite uh, bloodthirsty and destructive. But, you know, it could just as easy be the abortion clinic bomber or whatever. Yeah. All religion, I think, can be subverted when its root spirituality is, is forgotten. Just then the structure and the obligations and the, and the, the, the quest can sort of turn uh, or, or be turned by manipulative people in a very bad direction. Before, we were talking about, uh, um, uh, well, I was reading there about the innate appeal that, that Hassan Ali thinks Christianity could have. Yes to Muslims, but I think what she really means is all peoples. There's yeah, something yeah. Uh, winsome there. But it reminds me, not talking about Muslims, but I, I was very taken decades ago to read a book uh, called The Christ of the Indian Road mm -hmm. by uh, Stanley Jones. Have I ever mentioned that to you before? You have in the past. Yeah. It's intriguing, very intriguing. Yeah. Well, there's a classic scene there, and I think it's relevant again now. You know, he had great trouble making inroads for Christianity in, in India for decades. Mm -hmm. it, it just, he butted his head against the wall, but the breakthrough for him came uh, at, at a conference with, uh, with uh, Hindus and Brahmins and so on. I think there were a few Muslims there, but it wasn't really a ministry to Muslims. They told him, we don't care for your Christ, your Western Christ. Mm -hmm. 
We don't need him. India doesn't need it. So he said then quickly in response, he explained to them Jesus on the Indian road, looking like one of their holy men, healing people and spreading the love of God and an understanding about heaven's charity toward man and so on. And he ex- explained this familiar figure, a, a sympathetic figure of Christ. And, and he said, the, the Brahmin looked at him and he says, yes, he says, I think I could learn to love and serve the Christ of the Indian road. Mm. So what Hersinelli, I think, is, is saying again, somehow we need to apply the Christ to their situation, yes. not, not force a Western religious model on them per se. I mean, they're, they're going to resist that. Mm-hmm. But if the underlying and universal story of Jesus and what he came to bring to all mankind could be communicated, she thinks that that would make a difference, and I agree with it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think there's a hunger in all men's souls for that story. Would it be possible, Lincoln, you've read the Quran, would it be possible for the tables to be turned on that, for the Muslims to introduce us to a Muhammad of the American road? <laughs> they think so. <laughs> they think so, yeah. But, it, but could they really? Could, could it happen? We, we, know, we know the humbleness of Christ. We know the, the, the sincerity of Christ, the, the creative and the forgiving power of Christ. Is that reflected in the Prophet Muhammad? I don't think so. I'm, you know, the, the, the imams are often saying that uh, you know Islam is a religion of peace. Is, Islam means uh, submission. Yeah. I mean, there's a little bit of misinformation right there. No, I think uh, Muhammad was a product of his times. He was a, a rigorous man. He was a warrior, a prince. Let's just say, uh, you know, he was the first military leader of the of the movement. Uh, the God that came to him while he keeps saying Allah is all merciful and so on. You know, that's sort of a Cats cry, but but the actions and the the threatenings are quite consistent. I, I think the only argument with any traction you can make is that there are some similarities between the Quran and the Old Testament. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think when you're talking about the the personal testimony of Jesus and and repeated by his followers in the New Testament, that finds no direct parallel to the uh, Quran or you know in the style of the Quran. And we do have one incredibly important advantage in that Jesus Christ was only part human. He was also divine, and he is the only human on earth that can ever say that. Am I right? Absolutely. And that's a big point of contention between uh, Islam and and Christianity, but I think Hersinelli put a finger on it. There's there's a need for that in human beings. We want this high priest who can be touched with our infirmities. We want this huge connection with heaven, not just... You know, an angel that's severe, you know, in the Quran has the Old Testament angel that's sort of the glory of the angel will burn you away if you're not careful. You know, that's, that's an element of God. That's true. But, but the Quran doesn't really seem to have, you know, flesh of our flesh type God. Doesn't seem to, in fact, it, it goes to some lengths to deny that Jesus is the Son of God. They see him as a prophet. Yeah. You know, they shy immediately away from the idea that, as it says, God has no son. They don't like the idea that somehow deity deign to to uh, stoop low to participate with man i think that's the sticking point just as with uh, with uh, judaism mm-hmm. you know the muslims pick on the jews a lot and i don't want to <laughs> play into that mindset but uh, the facts are that the judaism is sort of paused at the entry as far as christ they haven't been able to yes. accept that he is the messiah and i think they've missed something wonderful I think that a lot of Christians miss that too. I think that we don't really realize what we have in Jesus Christ. We don't fully comprehend the incredible 
fortune that we have that this God-man is interested in us, that he loves us enough to die for us. We, as Christians, think of our religion as our religion. Our religion is our religion. It's not Jesus. It's what we think about Jesus. It's not what we really believe in our heart. It's what the pastor tells us or what we hear on a tape or what we read in a book. We need to realize that there is a God who wants to live in us, and that religion becomes our spirituality, and that is what we take across this divide to our Muslim brothers and sisters. Am I on the right track? Absolutely. I was trying to think while you were talking, uh, uh, I think it's probably some movie I, I saw somewhere, but there was a precious stone called it in some Muslim country. It's called the Tears of the Prophet. <laughs> But, you know, I read the Quran and, and about Muhammad, and maybe someone could call in sometime or write to me. But I don't really remember much about Muhammad being moved to tears or, or, or the angel is not heartbroken about anything. This is all sort of severe instructions, things that must be obeyed. But in the New Testament, it's, it's amazing. You know, Jesus there in front of the tomb of Lazarus, and he knows that he can heal him. Yes. And he, he weeps. And then Jesus, looking back over Jerusalem, which is, uh, you know, was the center of the world for the nation that he grew up in, the Jewish nation. And, and, and beyond that, it was the, uh, the, the center point of God's dealings with the people over millennia. And, and he weeps over Jerusalem. I mean, that is an affinity, an emotional affinity with, uh, between deity and humanity that, that you, can, you hardly ever find in any holy writings. And I think it's quite unique to Christianity. Hmm. I'm seeing again an image that I started with, with the two lines, the Christian line and the Muslim line, and I'm seeing one of those Christians stepping across the line, extending his or her hand, and not saying, hello, I'm a Christian, instead of saying, hello, I'm a fellow human being. And by the way, I worship a God who cares a great deal about you, who weeps for you, who longs to save you, who wants to give you a better life, who wants to forgive you. That's the type of Christ we need to take across that line to our Muslim brothers and sisters. Again, am I on the right track? Absolutely, okay. absolutely. Right. I think Islam has a little more problem uh, forgiving. Yeah. And again, it's more in the model that's presented in the Old Testament. I think it's easy theologically to go to the Old Testament and see the, the, in, the enduring love of God even in those rigorous times. Mm -hmm. But if you just hold yourself to Leviticus and Deuteronomy, yes, then, yes. you know, it's pretty much an eye for an eye type yeah. life for the society. But that's not how God operates with us in our day. Not at all. And, and, and I think that could soften the whole Islamic world, not in, just in their dealings with, with Christians. Yeah. I think in their dealings with themselves. Yes, definitely. I, I, I don't believe that, that you can even separate the Islamic mindset from the types of things that we're seeing in Syria and, and elsewhere at the moment. It lends itself to autocracy. It lends itself to uh, rigorous solutions, not so much bloodshed, but sort of overreach, I think. Mm -hmm. The Jews in the Middle East, I think, have latched onto it in the worst way. They've believed that the Islamic world responds to force, that they need to be intimidated. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a horrible assumption for them to make. But I think they've deduced that from the Quran, which, yes. which sort of depends more on the rod than the tears. Yeah. Yeah. And the very next words out of that mouth of that Christian standing there with his or her hand extended is, and one more thing, my Muslim brother, I am going to love you whether you believe me or not. I'm going to love you whether you're accepting the God I offer to you or not. I'm going to love you 
even if you reject me, my God, my country, my ideology, my leading, my friendship, I'm going to still love you. And that has to be a tremendously powerful witness that we're only finding when you have the freedom to love God as we do as Christians. Absolutely. Well, that's what we need more of, people that... that uh Show that love, even if the cost is everything for them personally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether you or I put to the stretch could really exemplify that. We, we won't know until that moment comes. That's right. That's right. But it's, it's the stuff of the martyrs. They didn't always die. But, I mean, someone that with that mindset often becomes a martyr. But there's many cases I know in the, in the, the story of Christian missions where somebody with that disinterested concern for other people they go in there and and it has the the power to change communities there's no question and it derives from jesus because that's the attitude that jesus had with with humankind when he came and let's not wait christians let's not wait for them to make the first move why don't we be preemptive here why don't we be the ones to step across the line with our hand extended why don't we be the ones who make the first move because I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, that God is waiting for a bunch of Christians in this world to make the first move, Lincoln. Yes. Unfortunately, uh, beyond the personal level, which is where we've been for some time. Now, when you're talking about what, on the biggest sense, is a clash of civilizations, there is so much baggage, the battle lines are so harshly drawn, the societies are are often so uh, insular, it would take a lot to turn that, and it might take a lot of uh, innocent bloodshed. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if battalions of, of of missionaries went there with this disinterested view, I mean, I'm put to mind of the uh, Iranians. They made a comment during the war with the Iraqis when the young people were, were co-opted, remember, and they sent mm-hmm. waves and waves yes. of young people. Yes. The soldiers said at the time, we just shot them, and they kept coming, and they were three or four high in front of the trenches, and we just kept shooting them. I mean, and it disarmed them. They, 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 they uh, I mean, they didn't lose the war, but I, I've heard interviews from Iraqi soldiers there. They couldn't sustain it. Yeah. At some point, they just had enough, and it slink away pretty much. If people really believe in a nonviolent way with their faith, uh, you know, who am I to say that it would win instantly? But I think in the long run, and, and when talking generational effects when we talk about this conflict between societies it would turn the tide i, I really mm. believe that and and when you when I look at the beginning of islam what set them off whether or not muhammad was was inspired by god or a jinn as he himself thought uh you know we can't know yeah. but i'm quite sure from a matter of history that it was the intransigent attitude of the the dominant roman catholic church that inflamed islam mm. <laughs> it was no accident that they went off on their jihad into uh, Western Europe with the direct instructions to kill without mercy all those who had the tonsure. Because they saw here the priests of the time inciting people to warfare, they were exacting penances and all the rest out of unknowing populations, and, and it was an abhorrence to them. Mm-hmm. But think if it had been you know, a more spiritual, uh, embracing Christianity as, as the Bible would have, or the New Testament would have led them toward maybe that incursion would have turned out differently and Islam would have been melded into, mm-hmm. <laughs> into a greater spirituality. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of what yes. might have been in history, but, but we know what sent it wrong. Well, this has been a fantastic discussion today. Extremely interested. Thank you very much, Lincoln Steele. Always a pleasure. And I would recommend that people read that book, Nomad, by Ayan Hirsi Ali. Nomad, okay. And her conclusion at the end, which is strangely positive to Christianity, even though she's a, uh, an avowed atheist. Very good. 
Well, our time has flown by. Thank you again. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Lincoln Steed inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. You've been listening to LifeQuest Liberty. To further explore the issues discussed on today's program, visit www.libertymagazine.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of religious freedom burning in your heart today.